Hello everyone, this is David opposing a matrix. It is the uh the first of November of all days, uh twenty twenty, two days till election day here in the United States, and boy oh boy is the collective anxiety high in this country. <laughs> it's uh I was talking to a fellow today, you know, this is not what we're gonna talk about tonight, first of all. But um I was talking with a fellow today, a co-worker, and I said, you know, I think that in order to be able to hang, handle this collective uh, anxiety that seems to be hanging around everybody and everything in regard to the state of our nation and this election, that it's best for the next couple of days just to shut down um, thinking about it and to just... Um, Put our minds on other things. And there's a scripture I'm going to read tonight that maybe will give you an idea of what we should put our minds on. <laughs> okay. But um, anyway, as we uh, nervously await the uh, election that's coming up and the uh, the possible voter fraud and the possible um, martial law, the possible civil war that will ensue because of this election, um Let's talk about some somebody here. Um, I am not averse to calling people out when they are doctrinally, doctrinally unsound. And uh, so tonight we're going to talk about a sect of, uh, of Christianity that's imposing itself upon uh, Christianity. And we're also going to talk about one particular member of that uh that sect that is, uh, oh, just sends waves of um, curiosity. And uh, in other words, I feel like I'm, um, when I when I read this guy's stuff, because I, I actually subscribe to his uh, stuff on Facebook, but when, when he sends something out, I actually feel like I've entered into... Uh, a cactus field that has been labeled an apple orchard. Um, and what do I mean by that? I mean that uh, the guy is, uh, he comes out with stuff almost on a daily basis. And uh, I don't know what his, his uh, thoughts are, what his, the motivation of his heart is. I think I do, but you know, I, only God knows a man's heart, but um, some of the stuff that he comes out with is, is, it's it's amazing that people pay attention to it. Um, you know, he's he's a uh, the kind of guy that would you know walks around. Oh, I was looking at a cloud yesterday, and it sparked my interest. and And the Lord spoke to me while I was looking at that cloud. And it could be looking at a cloud. It could be looking at a couple of frogs in a pond. Um, not that you know that those things he's talked about, but I'm just trying to give you a general idea of. Of where this guy's coming from, I think. Um, anyway, his name is Garris Elkins, and uh, the man is, uh, uh, to use a good uh, Yiddish word, is Meshugana. is uh, is is very different. He's very uh, in an effort to appear that he is caring. He's very self-centered. Um, he is he's a member of the NAR a big time member of the NAR. And uh, 
So what I want to do is uh, right away, I want to delve into what the NAR is, okay? Because I think it's important that you know what the NAR is. Um, we've we've done a lot of uh, shows where we've mentioned different parts. So one show went specifically into the NAR and what they're all about. And uh, you talk about a Twilight Zone sec section of the um, Christian religion. I don't even consider them Christians, to tell you the truth, but... Um, they, they think they are, but uh, uh, they're not orthodox by any means. And uh, and they got some really strange beliefs, and we'll get into that tonight. Because I have to give you this information that so you can maybe under, try to understand where he's coming from. And if you can, you're a better person than I am. Um, looking up the NAR, it's, uh, and it's actually it's short for New Apostolic Reformation. It's also known as the Seven Hills Theology. Um, it goes by se several different names. Um, it says in uh, Wikipedia, and this is this is a very good description, and this is why I use it. I usually don't like using Wikipedia for that many things because it, uh, it can be ambiguous at times, but um, this describes the NAR. Uh, it's funny because... Uh, Wikipedia must be politically correct because there's a little thing above it that says uh, this article has been nominated to be checked for its neutrality. Uh, discussion of this nomination can be found on a talk page, uh, which is another way of saying that uh, they're name calling uh, or calling out the NER for what they are. Okay, so anyway, uh, it goes on and it says the new apostolic reformation, reformation or the NER is a movement which seeks to establish a fifth branch of Christendom distinct from Catholicism, Protestantism, and by Protestantism, they're including Pentecostalism, um, ortho, excuse me, Oriental Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, the movement largely consists of churches nominally or formally associated with Pentecostal denominations and charismatic movements. Uh, but have diverged from traditional Pentecostal and charismatic theology in that it advocates for the restoration of the lost offices of, the ch of church government, namely the offices of prophet and apostle. And um, it says in scripture, and I do believe that's in Ephesians. And isn't that something I thought that I uh, I had saved that scripture in Ephesians um, well anyway um, it goes on in, in I believe it's Ephesians it says that God is uh, they call it the fivefold ministry that God has set up apostles uh, prophets um, evangelists teachers and uh, oh, I wrote it down here and or pastors and teachers in that order so um, uh, they take the literal list of these offices and have said that the apostles, prophets, and evangelists are the most important and they descend in that order and that teachers and pastors are basically uh, answerable to the uh, the first three. Okay. Um, to be an apostle in the NAR is a very important uh, office the whole and it's held by very few and um, anyway 
So, um, how did I get on this Garris Elkins thing? Anyway, I'll here I'll tell you. Um, without naming names, because I I don't like doing that, especially when it's uh, um, somebody that's a relative by marriage. Um, uh, I know this lady that um, is a relative by marriage, and um, she uh, started getting um, very much into uh, Bethel Church in Reading. She doesn't live there, but uh, started looking into it and was real excited by it, like a lot of uh, young believers are. And um, she uh, started to promote a lot of things like that. And I think she's probably um, not unfriended me, but she has. Uh, she doesn't get my posts anymore because I write a lot about the NAR and I include uh, Bethel Redding and uh, Garris Elkins in a lot of my writings and in a lot of my radio shows too. So anyway, um, where was I going with this? Okay, so uh, so she was including a lot of the Garris Elkins stuff in it. And, you know, I like to read through stuff like this too. If the guy's a real prophet, I want to read what he has to say. But um, like I said, you know, it's he... he tends to look at things while he's taking long walks or sitting in his backyard or on vacation or whatever. And he sees something, he focuses on it, and then he gets this idea in his head and then calls it a word from the Lord. And uh, one thing that he's very um, famous for, Mr. Elkins, is he makes blanket prophecies. Okay? Um, he might come out and say something like... Um, uh, the church is heading towards prosper a time of prosperity. Okay, well, that could be one church. That could be just a few members of a church that are going to be going through that. But when you put it in a blanket statement like that, anybody that's reading it is going to take it to heart and say, oh, that includes me. And if you've read any scripture from what Yeshua has taught us, uh, we are not promised a rose garden. We're not promised riches on this earth. Um, we're not promised much of anything on this earth. All of our riches and all of our rewards will be in heaven. Um, so, you know, and and I, I listen to this stuff, his stuff, or I read it. And I say to myself, well, what about this? You know, let's just take this hypothetical um, man that's... Um, He's a new believer, fairly new believer, he and his wife, and um, they're, they're reading his stuff or listening to it, and they're struggling financially, okay, um, hypothetically, and uh, and they're looking for the Lord to bless them in uh, financial matters, okay, and I'm not saying that the Lord would not bless them, but, you know, the Lord does everything in his timing, not ours, okay. So this person reads or listens to this prophetic word that the Lord is blessing the church, that he's going to bless them financially and bring um, untold riches unto his people. So these people that are struggling, they might have two or three kids. They might be behind in their house and or car payment. Um, they start thinking, oh, well, you know, this is good. We're going to the Lord's going to bail us out real soon. You know, and um, 
So two months go down the road and nothing happens. And uh, then six months and they don't get the blessing that they thought they were going to get because of this word. Um, and it could go into a year or two years. And like I said, Yeshua, Yahweh, does everything in his timing, not ours. Okay. Um, so, and then all of a sudden, you know, a year goes by or two and, and these people are still struggling and they lose faith because they thought that they were being promised a nest egg from the Lord and it never came in. Okay, so that's basically what a blanket prophecy is. Um, a lot of these people, uh, the NAR and, and well, Elijah, Elijah's list, <laughs> you want to see a zoo, go to Elijah's list. Now, don't get me wrong, I believe in the fivefold ministry. Okay, I believe that those offices exist. But I believe those offices are equal with one another and that the first three do not oversee the last two. Okay, I don't believe that there's a cadence in this. Okay. I don't believe that evangel that excuse me, that apostles are more important than prophets, and prophets are more important than evangelists, and evangelists are more important than pastors, and pastors are more important than teachers. Each one of those offices is equally important. Um, because look at it, you know, uh, um, an apostle goes out. An apostle is basically a person that reaches out and sets up new churches, okay? So he sets up a new church, and it's natural for uh, the prophetic realm to start acting in that new church because miracles are going to start happening. The Lord, Lord I, I got to start use, using that term. Stop using it because it's. I'll explain it some other time. But um, Yahweh, I'm going to use in its place in the place of the Lord. Um, as much as I can, I often forget, so forgive me. But um, so Yahweh then uses prophets, and he uses. Uh, he's going to use pastors because you need you need a shepherd for your flock, and he's going to use teachers because you need to teach these people about their new faith. So the teacher, which is at the end of the list, is just as important as the evangelist. Okay, every um, Paul used an illustration of the body that no part of the body was more important than another part of the body. You know, and that no part of the body can say, I don't need the other parts because all are integral to the operation of the organism. Okay, um, and the church is an organism. It's not an organization. It's a living breathing, thriving organism, okay? It's not a church building. It's not um, an ecclesiastical organization. It's people like me and you that Yahweh has called and banded us together to be his bride, to be his church, okay? To be kings and priests unto him, which scripture says. Uh, pardon me, I need to get a little sip of coffee here. On these cool days, um, on these cool days, coffee tends to cool down quite a bit in the cup pretty quick. So um, I don't anticipate finishing that cup. and What a waste that is. But anyway, um, so you, you have this guy that's operating in this mode. And, and I'm going to go into some examples a little later. But so you kind of got a little uh, overview of what the NAR is. Um, there's a better article. And, um, 
you know, I really, um, I really hate to quote from uh, NPR because it's National Public Radio, and it's about as liberal as you can get. Okay, but you know, just because a, a, an outlet is liberal doesn't mean that it's wrong all the time. Okay, I found some pretty interesting articles on NPR that are dead on. And I found tons of them that aren't, but um, anyway, this article is called, is called the, uh, it's like I said, it's put out by NPR. I'm looking for a date. Came out August 19th, 2011 at 9.01 a.m. Eastern Time. And it was heard, I guess, on their uh, the radio program. So anyway, let's, uh, let's look at this article because it's going to mention some people that you might know. Um, and it's going to be critical of some, some people that you, you've heard of. Um, but, uh, you know, let's, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. And I'm going to try to read it as fast as I can, because I don't want to be on the radio all night. Okay. I got a lot of three hours, but I'm not even going to get close to that. God is my witness. Okay. It says an emerging Christian movement um, that seeks to take dominion over politics, business, and culture in preparation for the end times and the return of Jesus is becoming more of a presence in the American politics. The leaders are considered uh, apostles, prophets, gifted by the God for this role. And um, you know, let me just interject in here that, yes, that's what they're all about. Um, and if, if you may not believe this, okay, but... Their ultimate goal is to get into all parts of society so that they can reform all parts of society. So the Reformation comes in of the, on their name um, using their, their seven mountains theology. And according to them, there are seven areas of society that they want to infiltrate. Uh, politics, one of them. Um, and create a better world so that when Jesus comes back or Yeshua comes back, he can be presented with a perfect world. Now, I've read Revelation, I've read Daniel, I've read a lot of prophetic books, and that's not how it goes. Um, Yeshua said that, you know, if he didn't come back early, that no flesh would be saved. So um, they're, they're very errant when it comes to this, their, their philosophy. Okay, anyway, the International Apostolic and Prophetic Movement has been dubbed by its uh, leading American architect, C. Peter Wagner, as the New Apostolic Reformation, or the NAR. Although the movement is larger than the network organized by Wagner, and not all members describe themselves as part of Wagner's NAR, the so-called apostles and prophets of the movement have identified theology, uh, ideology excuse me, that separates them from other evangelicals. Remember that. They're separate. Okay. Two ministries in a movement planned and orchestrated uh, Texas Governor Rick Perry's recent prayer rally where apostles and prophets from all around the nation spoke and appeared on stage. The event was patterned after um, the call. It's a ministry held at locations around the globe and led by Lou Engel, who has served in the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders. Um of the NAR, sorry, I don't, these titles just crack me up. Um, other NAR apostles endorsed Perry's event, including two who 
lead a 50-state prayer warrior network. Thomas Multhy, and uh, he's a Kenyan pastor who anointed Sarah Palin at the Wasilla Assembly of God Church in 2005 while praying for Jesus to protect her from the spirit of witchcraft is also part of this movement. On Wednesday's Fresh Air, Rachel uh, Tabernack, uh, who researches political impact and religious right, joins Terry Gross for discussion about the growing movement and its influences and connections in the political world. Uh, Taber, uh, Tabachinik says that the movement currently works with a variety of politicians and has presented in all 50 states. It's also very, it also has very strong opinions about the direction it wants to take the country to take. For the past several years, she says the NAR has run a campaign to reclaim what it calls the seven mountains of culture from demonic influence. The mountains are art and entertainment, business, family, government, media, religion, and education. Okay, there they are, the seven. Okay. They teach quite literally that these mountains have fallen under control of demonic influences in society. Hey, news here's a news flash they have since the beginning of time. Um says uh, Tab Bernichik, and therefore they must reclaim them for God in order to bring about the kingdom of God on earth. The apostles teach uh, what's called strategic level spiritual warfare because they believe that the reason why they are, um, why there is sin and corruption and poverty on the earth is because earth is controlled by a hierarchy of demons under the authority of Satan. So they uh, teach not just evangelizing souls one by one, as we're accustomed to hearing about. They teach that they will go into geographic, geographic regions or people groups and conduct spiritual warfare activities in order to remove the demons from the entire population. This is what they're doing. It's quite fundamentally different than other evangelical groups. Um, back in my day, or even now, when witches did that, came into churches, we called it infiltration. Um, and I don't, I don't like using the tools of the enemy to, uh, to try to evangelize. Um, and that's what they're doing. Anyway, uh, they go on to talk about a, a Rick uh, Perry ra- a rally. And then there's another section here, different evangelic- evangelicalism. Uh, tab. Tabernachik, who has been researching and writing about the apostles for decades, says that her own religious background has helped her with her research. She grew up as a Southern Baptist and converted to Judaism as an adult. Having a Southern Baptist background and growing up in the Deep South has helped me to be able to do research and has helped me to realize something that might not be apparent to some other people looking at the movement, she says. This is quite radically different than the evangelicalism of my youth. The things that we're, we've been talking about are not representative of evangelicalism. They are not representative of conservative evangelicalism. So I think it's important to keep in mind, this is a movement that's growing in popularity. And one of the ways they've been able to do this is because they're not very identifiable to most people. They're just presented as a non-denominational or just Christian. But it's an identifiable movement now and with an identifiable theology. Um, 
Okay, they talk about dominionism. Um, well, the prophetic movement, that's, they equate it with the Tea Party movement. I don't necessarily think that's true because that's, that's, that's an NPR propaganda right there. Uh, on dominionism, dominionism is simply a Christian, that Christians of this belief system must take control over various institutions of society and government. Some things that make up this group unique is that they have some unusual concepts of what they call spiritual warfare that have not been seen before in other groups, probably because they're not biblical. <laughs> um, spiritual warfare is a common term in which evangelicalism uh, and in Christianity, but they have some unique approaches and some unique spins on on this to distinguish them from other groups. Um, and basically, that's basically the end of the article. So I'm going to close that off there. Uh, this is the one I really wanted to get into. Um, okay. And this is called Nine Things You Should Know About the Bethel Church Movement. Bethel Church is located down in Redding, California. Okay. It's, um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I, I read an article about a witch that had gone, go there to, went, had gone there to attend and just to see what it was all about. And, um, and she was bombarded with people at, at the uh, entrance that wanted to give her words of uh, encouragement uh, so that she would continue on doing her good works, not knowing she was a witch. Um, they teach things like this. They have schools um, in um, Bethel Church that teach prof uh, how to be a prophet, how to be effective in other areas. Anyway, uh, it's, let's see. TGC Australia recently published an article examining the theology and practice of the Bethel movement. The Awakening Australia event and its main speaker, Bill Johnson, who is the guy who leads the church in, um, down in Bethel, Reading. Uh, are increasing the awareness of the controversial church throughout the continent. Here are nine things you should know about Johnson, the Johnson's Bethel movement. Okay. Number one, Bethel Church is a charismatic megachurch in Redding, California that is primarily known for their popular music label, Bethel Music. Uh, worship music and teachings on the uh, controversial senior pastor, uh, Bill and Benny Johnson. Uh, the Johnsons became pastors of Bethel Church in 1996. In 2005, the congregation withdrew from the Assemblies of God and became a non-denominational church. Since then, the church has increased the, to approximately 9,000 members. The second thing you should be aware of, Bethel Music is a ministry of Bethel Church that includes a record label, music publishing, and an artist collective that frequently holds tours and events around the world. The president and co-founder of Bethel Music is Brian Johnson, the son of Bill and Benny. Oh, it's a family affair. Um, one of the most famous musicians to come out of Bethel Music is Jeremy Riddle. A song written by Riddle, uh, Phil Wickman, and Josh Farrow titled uh, This is Amazing Grace was listed number one on Billboard uh, Christian Airplay um, song charts in 2014. Other Bethel worship songs are also popular in churches throughout the United States and Australia, which grieves my heart. Um, number three, the Johnsons are frequently, see, frequently, 
frequently criticized for their teachings, which often veer from this uh, suspect to the outright heretical. Uh, a prime example is Bill Johnson's Jesus Christ is, is perfect theology, which claims that it's always God's will to heal someone. Um, let's see, I don't see any quotation marks here. Um, but it goes on to say, how can God choose not to heal someone when he already purchased their healing? Was his blood enough for all sin or just certain sins? Were the stripes he bore only for certain illnesses or certain seasons of time? When he bore, when he bore stripes in his body, he made a payment for our miracle. He always decided to heal. You can't decide not to buy something after you've already bought it. Um, there are no deficiencies on his end, neither is the covenant deficient, nor his compassion or promises. All lack is on our end of the equation. The only time someone wasn't healed in the Bible or the Gospels is when the disciples prayed for them. For example, Mark 9, when they prayed for a tormented child, they did not have a breakthrough, but then Jesus came and brought healing and deliverance to the child. Deliverance is the main word there. The kid was demon-possessed. Um, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. He is the will of God. We can't lower the standard of Scripture to our level of experience, or in most cases, inexperience. It's a very uncomfortable realization. Not everyone can handle it. Most create doctrine that you can't find in the person of Jesus. He is the will of God. That was from Bill Johnson, I guess. Okay, number four, Benny Johnson also teaches some peculiar peculiarly unorthodox view of uh, angelology, such as there are different kinds of angels, messenger angels, healing angels, fiery angels who have fallen asleep. <laughs> um, in a blog post, she wrote, I think that they've been bored for a long time and are really and are ready to be ready to be put to work. She relates a story about one of her students at the Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry. Ooh who claims God told her to go to the chapel and yell, wakey, wakey, as Johnson says. I'm telling you, I these people have very little difference than the psych patients I take care of. Okay. And uh, let's see, this looks like a part of a quote. Uh, nothing happened for about five minutes, so the student turned around to, the, to cross the road to go over to a shop. As she turned around, she felt the ground begin to shake and heard a huge yawn. Uh, she looked back at the chapel and a huge angel stepped out. All she could see were his feet because he, he was that large. She asked him who he was and he turned to her and said, I am the angel from the 1904 revival and you just woke me up. She asked him, why have you been asleep? The angel answered and said, because no one has been calling out for revival anymore. No one, huh? I call for revival all the time. I guess I'm nobody. Um, okay, number five, reason number five. Some members of Bethel, including senior pastor Benny Johnson, have allegedly engaged in a practice of grave sucking or, or grave soaking, uh, which is lying on a person's grave to soak up the deceased's anointing. In an interview, Bill Johnson has said that neither he nor Bethel encourages the practice of grave sucking. However, in his book, The Physics of Heaven, Johnson says, and I quote, there are anointings, mantles, and revelations and mysteries that have, lined, that have lain unclaimed 
literally where they were left, because the generation that walked in them never passed them on. I believe it's possible for us to recover realms of anointing, realms of insight, realms of God that have been untended for decades simply by choosing to reclaim them and perpetuate them for future generations. And like I said, I don't know if it said it or not, but grave sucking is where they lay on this, the grave of some of the greater saints that ever lived and suck up the Holy Spirit that wasn't used by that person while they were alive. Uh, you show me where that is in the Bible, and um, I'll show you a bridge I have for sale over a large... No, uh, how about some uh, oceanfront property in uh, Arizona? Okay, number six, Bethel Church claims the frequency frequently encounter unexplained phenomena both during their services and also in their everyday lives, such as gold, uh, falling gold dust and angel feathers. The feathers, gold dust, etc. are not things we do, Johnson says. They happen. They also claim to see glory, the glory cloud, the appearance of dust slash smoke in their services that they say is a supernatural sign of God's presence, similar to the pillar of cloud that traveled with Moses and the Israelites. And I might add to this that they also see orbs in some of their services. I don't know if it's Johnson, but some of the other NAR churches, and they think the orbs are angels, and they invite the orbs in. And orbs are not the angels that we know. Orbs are demonic, and they are fallen angels. And what a better way to get Satan to come into your church than to invite him in uh, because he comes in in the form of an orb. Number seven, Bethel Church uh, churches frequently promote and teach and preach from the Passion Translation, which Johnson describes as one of the greatest things to happen with biblical, well, I mean with Bible translation in my lifetime. As the sole translator, Brian Simons says, the Passion Translation is distinct from other modern English Bible verses in that it is an essential equivalence translation. But in a review for uh, Themelios, Andrew G. Sneed concludes that Simons abandons all interest in textual accuracy, playing fast and loose with the original languages and inserting so much new material into the text that it is at least 50% longer than the original. The result is a strongly sectarian translation that no longer counts as scripture, but masquerading as a Bible, it threatens to bind entire churches enthrall to a false god. That's kind of scary. Uh, number eight, Bethel runs a ministry training center called Bethel School of Supernatural Ministries. Um, the school said that uh, the school says that uh, what makes the academic instructions at BSSM, <laughs> I love the first two letters because that's what it is, uh, uniquely is that it is uh, taught by apostles, prophets, and evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The school says students will learn how to read and understand and do the Bible, how to practice his presence to witness, heal the sick, prophecy, preach, pray, cast out demons, and much more. Gee, I thought the Holy Spirit's the one that does that stuff. Oh, I guess Bethel needs a school to do it, huh? Okay. 
Bethel has a number nine. Bethel has a program similar to church planning network that equips and empowers leaders who desire to transform lives and communities through schools of supernatural ministry or SSMs. Part of the role of such schools is to pastor people with unique spiritual giftings. As an article on the school planting website explains, um, <laughs> this is hilarious. I knew a man who would know people's secret sins the moment he laid eyes on them. From what I know, this is not a gifting he wanted or sought after. It was just something he experienced. It was a testament to the character of this man that he was also one of the best lovers of people that I've ever known. I know quite a few people who, from a young age, saw into the spiritual realm like you and I see into the physical realm. They see angels and demons constantly without actively looking for them. I don't know about you, but until a couple of years ago, this was different to how I experienced the supernatural. I've never seen someone's secret sins written across their forehead. Uh, until a couple of years ago, I've never seen demons and angels uh, flitting about and going about their business. I've never fallen into a trance, and I've yet to be supernaturally transported anywhere. Spiritual gifts manifest differently in different people, and there are those out there who have very unique manifestations of spiritual gifts and very unique relationships with God as a result. People label themselves as mystics or seers. Personally, I believe this is what, you, what should be normal for Christians, and is actually accessible to all of us. Um, I'm sorry, but mystics and seers are um, in the Bible um, prohibited in Leviticus. Um, anyway, that's basically the end of that article. It kind of gives you an idea what the NAR is about, but it goes much deeper. And, and we did a show about it. You can look at look for it on um, the Delusion Resistance website. Um, in the archives, you'll see the link up at the top of the web page. And um, I don't know exactly what year it was done or, or whatever, or what month, but uh, I'm sure if you do a, um, a search of that page, you will find it. So anyway, that takes care of that. Okay, so you're kind of getting an idea of the NAR and, and what they're about and what people like Garris Elkins and other people um, are involved in um now I, I looked up the uh like i said the new apost apostolic uh reformation in wikipedia and uh okay so there's a list of members and this i don't know how old this is but um though few if any organizations publicly espouse connections to the nar a movement known as dominion theology and a belief in the continuing ministries of the apostles and prophets alongside those of the evangelists, pastors, and teachers, which is a lie because they often exclude the pastors and teachers. Uh, there are several individuals often associated with this movement, including Lou Engel, the founder of The Call, Bill Johnson, the head pastor of Bethel Church. We just read a lot about him. Guillermo Maldonado, co founder and past senior pastor of El Rey Jesus, Rick Joyner, founder of Morningstar Ministries. We're going to talk about him in a minute. He's a scoundrel. Uh, John P. Kelly, founder of the John P. Kelly Ministries and convening apostle. 
Um, C. Peter Wagner, founder of Global Harvest Ministries. Uh, Cheon, or Kayon, uh, Harvest International Ministries. Todd White, Lifestyle Christianity. Um, Randy Clark, The Global Awakening. And Kenneth Copeland, <laughs> Kenneth Copeland Ministries. Uh, if you've ever watched Kenneth Copeland, um, if that guy's not possessed by demons, nobody is. Um, <laughs> guy is strange and wicked. Um, it goes on to say, C. Peter Wagner of Global Harvest Ministries considered the year 2001 to be the beginning of the second apostolic age for the movement holds that the lost offices of prophet and apostle were restored in that year. See? Those two. Okay. Uh, after being named as part of the NAR and critics believing that Bethel Church was an instrument was instrumental in leading some Christians to embrace tenets of the NAR. Pastor Johnson of Bethel became regularly listed as an NAR leader. Johnson admitted that he does not believe in the apostolic and prophetic ministries. He denied, however, in an official statement that his church had any official ties to the NAR. B.S. Um, and final, final paragraph here. Um, when Rick Joyner of the Morningstar Ministries was listed, he announced that there will be likely a horde of false apostles released. Continuing and in continuing on, he said, our team received two very specific dreams and a window just popped up blocking what I got to read here. Um, very specific dreams warning about false apostolic movements uh, that were built more on organization and relationship. The dreams indicated that these were trying to bring forth apostles that were really more like corporate CEOs and a movement that they led had a potential to do great damage to the church. The enemy's intent um, with this false apostolic movement was to have the church develop deep revulsion to anything that was called apostolic. Well, hey, it's working. Um, Rick Joyner. <laughs> You want to talk about an oddball and a freakazoid. Um, let me get another sip of this now cold coffee. Ah, even cold, it's delicious. Um, and I'm sure that somebody that listens to this that's part of the NAR will can throw some kind of conviction toward me for drinking uh, caffeine. Um, but anyway... Rick Joyner of Morningstar Ministries, um, if you go to his webpage, there's a little link on there. And it's a link about him being a part of the Knights of, uh, not the Knights Templar, um, ah, Knights of Malta. And the Knights of Malta is nothing different than the uh, Knights Templar, just a different name. It's, it's a Masonic order. And he goes through great lengths in the article that he wrote to prove that all Christians should become parts of the Knights of Malta and that they are not associated with the Masons. Um, simple research, very simple research will prove that wrong, that they are very much associated with the Masons and that they're um, more of a Catholic Masonic order than anything else. So, um, the man, Rick Joyner, is a snake. That's all there is to it. 
he's a snake, and he um, also endorsed. Uh, who who in the heck did he endorse? Um, I think he endorsed um, Ted Cruz um, as being the one that was going to fulfill the white horse prophecies of the Mormon Church. Interesting. So what is, you know, is he trying to bring Mormonism into his fold? Um, why is a uh, supposed uh, Christian endorsing Mormonism and a Mormon prophecy? So if you can answer that one, I will buy you some cigars if you smoke cigars. Um, anyway, um, okay. So... Let's let's get down to Garris Elkins because I don't want to stay on here uh, much longer. Um, yeah, okay. So the last email that I received, or actually not an email, because I, I called an email because I sent it to myself because um, I didn't want to lose this. I wanted to be able to uh, read this to you and and then kind of um, dissect it and throw away the bad parts. Um, or I should say, maybe cut it out, the metastasized part of the heresy. And But if I do that, then there's nothing left. Okay, so now he always will start out very loving, very uh, caring. Um, but it always starts out with something that he saw that reminded him of something. Okay. Um, he will always try to make it sound like it's for the benefit of the church and, and or groups of Christians. Um, and that um, he'll always use it as a season in the life of the church. Um, okay, so he wrote this and it, um, oh, I didn't say the name of the article, but it's not. Well, we'll just, we'll just go ahead and read it. He said, what are the implications of the super century? Oh, wait a minute, i got to go up. The name of the article is The Super Century of Christianity. We have entered the mis what mis uh, misologist uh, Ralph Winter described as a super century of Christianity. A super century is a span of time when we reevaluate, uh, re redefine, and reset our faith. Super centuries have occurred every four to 500 years since the inception of the church 2000 years ago. There's the first thing you proved that to me. He said the last super century reset took place at the reformation of 1517 when Martin Luther nailed the 95 thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. We have just entered a new super century, I guess this year. Um, okay. So let's go back before 500 years. Let's go back to the year 1000. Show me something around the year 900 to 1,000 that will prove your point. Show me something the year 500 that will prove your point. I study church history, and nothing super fantastic happened that would um, be characterized by what he's saying here. So there's there's problem number one. Okay, the super century concept coincides with, with futurist David Hull, H-O-U-L-E, so it could be Hull or Hooley, said when he described the years between 2017 and 2037 as the shift age. Doesn't that sound new age to you? 
In that 20-year period, more change will have taken place than in any 50-year period in human history. Okay, the shift age. Boy, that, that sounds new age to me. What is he doing comparing a Christian age with a new age age? Uh, that's another, that should send up red flags. And I'm tapping on my computer screen. So that's what that noise is. He says here, uh, what are the implications of a super century? And what does the rapidity of change taking place in this shift age mean? So he's starting to use the term shift age. Uh, what does it mean for you and me? An unfolding of events become increasingly more abundant in both nature and speed. And we must make adjustments along the way so we do not remain stuck in the past, but rather become free to engage in an emerging future. Um, not everything in the past is bad. Okay. <laughs> um, if, you know, uh, rather than become, uh, engaged in an emerging, emerging future, don't get stuck in the things of the past. Well, the things of the past, uh, when I read my Bible or, um, the love of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, or Yeshua, um, the Pentecost with the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit. Those are things in the past. I want to remain stuck in those things. I want to remain stuck in that old-time religion, so to speak. I don't want what they have to offer because it's heresy. Okay, He's, and then he goes in and makes a, a claim. Unless we make these adjustments, the rate of change can become so rapid and all-consuming, we might become confused, disoriented, and derailed from our focus on God's mission. Okay, I think if God or Yahweh is, now he might be talking about a different God too, who knows? Um, Yahweh has always seen to it that when he makes changes, he lets his people know about it ahead of time so that they don't become confused, disoriented, or derailed. Okay. I guess Mr. Elkins real, thinks that it's his um, duty to help us go back in, go into this shift age, I guess, this new age, basically. Um, he said, "These there are three things that will keep us faith mobile, will keep our faith mobile and healthy in time of rapid cultural change and transition. Number one, we must reduce our faith to the essentials." Oh, what essentials is he talking about? Like, okay, reduce our faith to the essentials. Okay, like our early church fathers once said, in the essentials, in the essentials unity, in the non-essentials liberty, and all, and in all things love. Okay. Okay, I got to look that up. I don't know where the early church fathers said that, or if they said it in a different vernacular, a different way. Uh, that just might be a 21st century rendering of what they said. But I've read the, the early church fathers, and uh, I don't remember seeing that. Anyway, uh, the essentials are the very bottom line issues of our faith, like the nature of God and the plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. Non-essentials are our preferences. They can change over time and are subject to our personal interpretations. And finally, no matter what, whether we are dealing with an essential or non-essential is on our faith, 
all we do must be done in love. So he's telling us we're not supposed to do the non-essentials, but if we do them, we must do them in love. Okay, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, focus on the essentials and not the, not the non-essentials. But if you happen to do the non-essentials, do them in love. Okay, that's dumb. Sorry. Um, and it doesn't make any sense. Uh, number two, uh, we must guard the condition of our hearts. And I'm going to read the paragraph and then we're going to look at some scriptures. Perhaps one of the most significant things to come out of this pandemic and stressful election cycle is the realization that a wide variety of interpretations exist within the church of what is actually taking place in the spiritual realm. This is not the first time in history that the church has gone through a season of winnowing within its ranks until the dust settles and we're able to discern what God has been doing in this section, in this season, excuse me. We need to continually guard our hearts and remain un unoffendable. Um, through prayer and an exercise of our faith, we can actually influence world affairs. If our hearts remain tender and pliable to the will of God, we will experience safe passage through these turbulent times. Now, that sounds all well and good, but... Um, you know, I I, I got to tell you something. Every once in a while, um, this is a confession, but uh, uh, we'll watch something on TV. And the main theme these days is guard your heart. Take care of your heart. You know, go with your heart. What is your heart saying? Oh, for goodness sakes, don't listen to your heart. It'll lead you astray every time. You know, it really will. It, here, I'm going to show you why I'm saying that. Okay. Okay, let's see. Let's go with uh, dang it. There's a uh, there's a scripture that talks about the heart. Oh, yeah. Here it is, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Um, God is saying, or Yahweh is saying through Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? Only God, of course, right? Yeshua, Yahweh. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So in other words... This is telling me, don't trust your heart. You know, in all things, go back to scripture and see if what your heart is thinking is right. Because if the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? I don't want to count on that thing to, to help me to make decisions. And, you know, Yeshua said what um, something about the, uh, the mouth uh, just issues forth what's in the heart. Okay, and, you know, I've, I've known some people that are very loving people and some very loving things come out of their mouths. But I'll tell you what, with all this stuff that's going on with COVID and, and all this political stuff, there's a lot of stuff coming out of people's mouths that are showing what their hearts are really like. And it's not a pretty thing. Okay, so do not trust your heart. Okay, um, and uh, let's see, I want to go back to where he was talking because I think I have to do that before I continue on.
Yeah, let's just finish his article and then we'll go. Um, and, and look at other things. We And he says, we must interpret what is taking place from heaven's perspective. Okay. Uh, with the recent announcement that both President Trump and the First Lady had tested positive for COVID-19, I was reminded once again how fast events can change on the world stage. As I watched the world events begin to rapidly accelerate, I was lovingly corrected as to what my role and the role of the church should be in these unusual times. So, um, okay. Uh, I sent something. I felt I could have been, uh, I felt could have been a message from the Lord and shared it with my wife, Jan. The problem was not that I, not what I shared. Excuse me. This is confusing. The problem is not what I shared because what I saw could become a real possibility. My problem was that I only saw a spiritual conflict and its probable negative outcome. I did not look deeper and considered a solution offered from heaven. In my limited insight, I sensed a dark, overwhelming, a dark outcome developing, excuse me, that could become a real possibility if God did not intervene. Jan said, what you sense is a call to prayer. You only saw the conflict, not the call to prayer. I received Jan's wife's counsel. The Apostle Paul said he went to the third heaven. And remember this. We're going to get into this. The Apostle Paul said he went to the third heaven, according to Gareth Elkins, and saw unimaginable things. He meant his mention of a third heaven logically infers the existence of the first and second heaven. Well, no, duh. There's got to be a first and second if there's a third, right? Okay. Next paragraph. What I sense taking place needed to come under the authority of the greater work of God, a work that originates in heaven and is revealed on earth. Where's the Bible in all this? Notice he hasn't mentioned the Bible at all in this. Okay. He can always intervene in the affairs of earth, no matter how dark, uh, dark the current reality or possibility outcome might appear. Heaven's insight must always be my filter for interpreting the events taking place, or I will see with only limited uh, sight, a sight that will always end up in, in despair. These three things, reducing our faith to the essentials, guarding the condition of our hearts, and interpreting our uh, reality through the lens of heaven will keep us mobile and able to move with um, God at the speed of our faith. He will then be able to speak the truth and love to individuals and the institutions of society who desperately need hope, a word of hope and effort, excuse me, and direction. Okay, so I was always taught and I still believe and believe till my last breath on, on earth that the Bible is the lens that we look at things through. Um, what did they say? Bible means basic instructions before leaving earth. But you can find the answer to anything in scripture. The thing is, you got to open up the book and look. And you got to pray for Yeshua or Yahweh to, um, to, to lead you into that through the Ruach HaKodesh or the Holy Spirit. Um, and he'll answer you every stinking time. Okay. Um, the thing is that um, the uh, NAR is notorious for um, extra biblical 
revelation. And that's what he's talking about here. When you see something going on, he wants you to to pray that heaven will give you an insight. Well, heaven is a place. Okay? I want the God of heaven, the, the one that lives in heaven, to, to give me insight, first of all. And second of all, when I ask him for that, he's going to say something. And when he says something, it better mesh. It better dang well mesh with what's in Scripture because um, that's another thing that the NAR does. They get this, these words from God and they don't check it with Scripture. Or they find some really obscure Scripture, twist it, and use that as their explanation. They, they never really... And, and Scripture backs up Scripture. So if you find one Scripture that the Lord's using, that Yahweh's using, to tell you something, you'll find another Scripture that backs it up. The NAR does not do that. Garris Elkins does not do that, as far as I can tell, anyway. Um, and by the way, this his website is www.garriselkins.com. Now, he says the Apostle Paul said that he went to the third heaven. Well, when I read that, I went, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense to me because I've read that scripture before because I've been very interested in that scripture. Um, and I've read it many times. And uh, I think it's found in 2 Corinthians. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, let's just start with verse 1. Um, it says, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. In other words, here, I want to talk about these visions and revelations. Okay. He says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth such and one caught up to the third heaven. Now, Paul was very good at saying when things happened to him, when he was shipwrecked, uh, he talked about him. When um, he was in prison that time, um, and then he claimed that he was a, a citizen of Rome and, and he had to be rescued from prison by the centurion. Um, you know, he's talking about him. When Paul is talking about things that have happened to him, it's always in the first person. It is never in the second person that I've found anyway. So when he says, I know a man in Christ or another believer about 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth such and, and one caught up to the third heaven or in other words, such a man caught up to the third heaven. And then he goes on and says, and I knew such a man whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that when he was caught up into paradise, he heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but of my infirmities. In other words, he's going to glory in his infirmities. This is telling me this is not Paul that went to heaven. So Mr. Elkins does not read scripture. Okay. And that, that should be bothersome to people that read his stuff and, and take his word to be actual words from the Lord. 
Um, if he doesn't know a simple thing like this, that it was a guy that he knew. And it seems to be two different guys because it's two accounts. Okay. Um, so anyway, if, if he can't get a simple thing like that right, that means he doesn't read scripture. If he doesn't read scripture, he doesn't know scripture and he doesn't know that scripture will verify scripture and scripture will also verify if a voice is speaking to you, telling you to do something. We're, we're constantly told not to be deceived because the enemy can fool us. Okay, the enemy can come as an angel of light. You know, uh, him and, and his minions can come as an angel of light to deceive you. Okay, um, but if, well, look at uh, when when Yeshua was in the wilderness, and and Satan met him and was speaking prophecies, but was speaking or scriptures, excuse me, but was speaking them falsely, and Yeshua had to correct them each and every time using the using the scripture. Okay, he didn't say, "Hey, I looked up and saw the Father, and the Father told me this." He said. He just answered back with scripture, and that's what we're supposed to do. Scripture is the word of God. We're told that it is the logos of God. Yeshua is the logos of God. Therefore, Yeshua is scripture, and scripture is Yeshua. If he's saying something to us, he will back it up in his scripture. Karis Elkins, you are wrong. Okay, and if you're wrong, then everything that you publish, as far as I'm concerned, is wrong. Now, Okay, you might say, well, this is just one thing. Okay, maybe you just got this wrong. Okay, well, if you go to his website and you start poking around, and I saw this, pardon me, I saw this a couple of years ago. This was uh, 2018, I believe this was posted. Um, and um, I know... Correct me if I'm wrong, but scripture says that a man that looks behind him is not worthy, is not fit for the kingdom of God. And that means looking back on your old life. You know, sometimes we, we think about our old lives, but we think about it in revulsion. Because how could I have acted that way? How could I have been that way? How could I have denied the Lord Yeshua? You know, we were actually insane before we came to know the Lord Yeshua. Okay. And to reflect back on things in the past and glory in them or use them for examples, basically, is not too smart to do unless you're using it to, to show how you erred in the past and how you have learned a lesson from what you did in the past. OK, so anyway, um, this was uh, it's called the Memories of Our Life. OK. It says by Garris Elkins. It was written or put on the internet April 3rd, 2018. And uh, the guy loves to use hashtags. Um, creativity, discipleship, eternity, faith, fear, forgiveness, future, Holy Spirit, identity, uh, Jesus, kingdom of God, prayer, pride, revelation. Pride is probably the biggest one here. Um, and spiritual warfare. Anyway, it's real short. And I'm going to read it to you. And then we'll talk about how it's an error. Okay. He writes, I was listening to a YouTube video of an old rocker, Peter Frampton, to see if I wanted to invest in the, in the money 
if I wanted to invest the money in a concert he's doing this summer. Okay. First bad point. As I listened to some of the old familiar songs, I was transported back in an emotional time. Um, I could feel the rumble of the engine of my 69 VW Bug, and that explains a lot to me, and I won't tell you why, uh, under my seat and hear the music from my 8-track tape player fill in the car with the sounds of my youth. I was taken back to certain moments and relationships now long gone. This is the power of memory. And I, I flash on a scripture that says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Um, okay, second paragraph. These memory triggers, like the sounds of a favorite song, the taste, the smell can produce a variety of emotions. Many times the spirit will uh, use a memory to remind us something that we need to deal with, we, uh, that we parked in time, hoping it would go away. At other times, like when I listened to the YouTube video of Frampton's performance, I was reminded of how far God has brought me in his great love and patience. Okay, that's cool. Okay. Uh, today, uh, embrace each memory that comes. The joyful ones, the painful ones alike. Well, there's another ah. Okay. Because we're not supposed to look back on the past and, and, and look at the painful things. Um, those are things that were paid for. Uh, through the blood of Yeshua on the cross. Okay. And um, if if you're thinking of joyful things that happened before you came to faith in Yeshua, I mean, you know, there's there are joyful things. I can remember knowing that my baby sister was coming home. That was a joyful thing after she was born. Um, I remember the love my mother and father gave me. Those are, are joyful memories that I have. Okay, but the painful ones I'd rather not think about because, like I said, they were all that stuff was erased when I came to faith in Jesus again. And I quote, if any man is in Christ or Messiah, he's a new creature. Behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Okay, why do you want to think about that literal crap when it's gone? Okay, Um, okay. In each memory, a revelation from God awaits your visit. Oh, now that's not good. Okay. I mean, if he was going to teach me about something I did 40 or 50 years ago, I think he would have gotten to it by now, right? Uh, unpack the content of each memory. And this sounds like psychology to me. It sounds like um, going back and, and resolving things that have happened that Jesus paid for. Okay, um, you know, when I first got saved, here's something that happened. And I, and I had to I had to rebuke it in the name of Yeshua. Um, back when I was a teenager, before I knew the Lord, I mean, I'd, I'd heard about him and I had some guy preaching to me about the Lord, but I didn't listen. Um, I had a group of people come over to my house, some upstarts. I was I was in a drug culture. And um, so somebody brought some weed over and I guess somebody brought pills or something over to the house. Lived in a mobile home at the time. My dad was gone. Figured, hey, this is the time to party. Everybody else has parties. I'm going to have one. Okay. Um, There was a girl I was interested in. Her name was Beth. I will not use her last name. Um, 
and she was there. And um, what she had done is accompanied some guys into one of the uh, into the front bedroom. And supposedly those guys were taking pills. And uh, Beth had lied and said that she took one of the pills. And uh, Beth was a good friends with the um, uh, I think she was a cheerleader or something. And she was good friends with the high school football guys who came over and threatened to beat the living tar out of me. And I said, hey, listen, you know, I don't know what happened in there. It was not sanctioned by me. I didn't give anybody permission to go in there. You know, I, I could have stopped it, I guess. But um, anyway, it turned out the cops, the cops came, but they left. And um, But it's something that I lived with. Even, even after I got saved, every once in a while, Satan would bring that back up to me. And I would feel like it happened yesterday. And then one day I said, you know, this, this died with Jesus on the cross, with the issue on the cross. It's, it's paid for, it's over with. And, um, at the time Beth was a Christian, so I'm sure she still was. And, and nothing ever happened. You know, she lied and, and called me up and, and apologized profusely about the lie, um, at that time. And, uh, finally I prayed about it and it went away and, um, the first time I thought about it in probably 20 or 25 years is tonight when I'm using this illustration and I'm using it to, to, to bring about a point, um, that I received forgiveness for that. And that's not something I need to dwell on anymore. It's not something I need to unpack. Um, it's not a memory I need to unpack. It's, uh, it's not something that the Lord needs a revelation that, uh, Yeshua needs to teach me. Um, upon visiting it. Okay. So this is dead wrong. Um, enjoy, enjoy the recollection. If the memory is happy and healthy, if the memory is painful and filled with sorrow, put any lie, fear or regret associated with that memory immediately in the gracious hands of God. Now that's good advice. Okay. But, um, let's see. And one more sentence. Only there can a memory whether one of joy or pain, find the proper healthy perspective in the history of your life. I do not think, however, we should go searching for those things. Okay. Um, if Yahweh wants to bring one of those things to our minds and so that we repent of it, well, we really don't even need to repent of it because it was paid for. But, you know, we could, uh, what is it, confess the sin. Um so anyway, the first thing, the first eh, was, um, why are you listening to Peter Frampton? Peter Frampton's songs were not godly at all. They were songs that had to do with making love, having sex, and, and everything else. Um, and uh, so why are you listening to that? Okay. Second one is thinking of buying a ticket to go see the guy, you know. Because obviously Peter Frampton hasn't changed. Um, and if you're going to see him because he's bringing back nostalgic memories, that's another thing you shouldn't be doing. You should be moving forward, not looking backwards. Um, you should not be looking for things to trigger you. Okay. Um, so anyway, this, this whole thing that he wrote was bupkis. And... Um, Again, I, I'm just trying to get you to realize that there are, are people like this that 
that claim to be, and I think they're self self um, proclaimed prophets. Um, that uh, that want to have some kind of recognition, and because when he writes stuff, um, well, here, let me see if I still have his website open. Um, I could go there real easy, actually. I think. Um, eh, maybe not. Oh yeah, home. Okay, well, there's a little thing about Jan and Garris and recent blog articles. But here you go. He uh, he had an article today, Spiritual Scorpions. Yesterday, hearing something new. The day before, Prevailing Truth. The 29th, New Tribes Are Forming. Oh, that ought to be pretty interesting. Um the 28th, pre-awakening. The 27th, the new. Every day, this guy has a word. Okay, that's not normal. I'm sorry, that's not normal, and uh, that to me is a a way to cry out for recognition. And if you, um, well, you'd have to go to his Facebook site. But um, he always, oh, yeah, brother, you know, I really can identify with that. Oh, yeah, brother, that really speaks to me. Oh, yeah. It's like, well, yeah, it's it's going to speak to you. But is it the truth? <laughs> you know, um, you know, I, I can watch. Uh, well, I don't. We don't have television anymore, but haven't for a while. But, you know, I could watch something and uh, it'll, it would speak to me. Um, and that might not be what the Lord wants me to hear. You know, it's, I don't know. I just, I have a really hard time with, with somebody that has nothing to do but walk around during the day, observe something like two frogs in a pond and come up with some kind of uh, allegory or metaphor uh, for seeing these things, okay? Um, there, there are only... In, in the uh, Tanakh, the Old Testament, uh, there there were uh, there was a school of prophets. Basically, in the Old Testament, it was run by Samuel, um, but that's when they were there were real prophets back then, and um, that's before the Holy Spirit um, came to indwell everyone whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, so to speak, um, and so they needed a spokesperson. And so you had people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Samuel, um, you know, pick your prophet um, that would speak to the people and the people never listened um, or very rarely listened and, and sometimes listened after it was too late. But um, <clears throat> then you got folks like this that have a new word every day. And uh, then you have people like the the person I'm related to through marriage that uh, cling on every word that these these per, these people come out with, you know. And it's um, it's just a shame that um, you know um, each one of us, you, me, um, your grandkids if they walk with the Lord, your kids if they walk with the Lord, we all have the ability to hear Yahweh speak to us. We all have the Ruach HaKodesh inside of us that'll speak to us. The thing is that you have to take the time to do it. You have to take the time to say, Lord, speak to me. 
I need you to talk to me. I, I want to have communion with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I want you to teach me what's right. Not Garrett Elkins, not Rick Joyner, not anybody else. I need you to show me what's going on because we're all kings and priests in Jesus now in Yeshua. Um, we're told that in um, the writings of Paul or in Hebrews, I believe. <clears throat> we're all kings and priests. Man, my voice is starting to go, so i got to end this up pretty soon. But um, anyway, you don't need self-proclaimed prophets like the Knight of Malta, Rick Joyner, or um, the heretic down in Reading, or, uh, or this guy coming up with all this stuff. You know, if you're having a hard time, speak with the Lord about it. Speak with Yahweh about it, you know? And I think a lot of the problem is that people... Um, we're used to a, a drive-through mentality of um, driving up to the uh, the menu box, so to speak, in our car, saying to the Lord or to Yahweh, Lord, Yahweh, this is going on. I need help. And then we mistakenly think that we hear Yahweh say, "Okay, I've received your order. Drive around to the first window." And um, you drive around to the first window, and there's nothing there. And we've got to learn to have patience and to, and to wait on the Lord. That's what waiting on the Lord means. It means waiting on the Lord. It means waiting for him to answer. I did a show two or three weeks ago. And um, in that show, I illustrated that um, with me anyway, because I used to try to make things happen uh, when I was younger, a younger believer. Um, if I didn't get an answer, I gave God time limits. And if I didn't get an answer within a certain time frame, I many times had the ability to make things happen. And it, sometimes it was okay. Uh, he would pull my bacon out of the fire, so to speak, to use an unkosher term. Um, other times I would have to suffer because it was me that made the decision and not him. <clears throat> but um, I always call it the 1159 and 59 second bailout. And I've learned to live with that, okay? Um, and it's caused me, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I've, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> hopefully I've learned my lesson to wait on the Lord. Um, that 11.59 and 59 second bailout is not fun. It's not fun stressing out to the last minute before you get your answer. But if we learn that and realize that that could, that could and most likely will be the possibility, then it takes a lot of stress off of us. We cast our burdens on him because his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Say, okay, well, you know, you told me to ask for anything and, and I'll have it, Lord, you know. And, and that means within reason, you know. And most of the time it means wants, not or it means needs, not wants. Okay. Um, I could pray for bread to eat tonight because I'm not, I don't have any bread in the house. I have no money and I'm hungry. And there's a really good chance I'm going to get that. But if I pray for a new Maserati, <laughs> I'm not going to get it, right? Um, I can almost assure you I'm not going to get it. Um, so if we pray and and we wait on him and know that he's faithful and true. 
we're either going to get that loaf of bread or somebody's going to bring bread over or um, somebody's going to say, hey, you know, I, you want, let, let me take you out to dinner, you know, or something like that, you know. So um, it's uh, my wife can attest to it. You know, it's um, it's always seems like we get the last minute bailout, you know, and um, and we've learned to live with that. And, and that's OK. That's really okay. I mean, if he were to, I was thinking the other day, you know, because we got a couple of car payments, we've got a mortgage and and things like that. You know, we, in a way, I guess we're disobedient, got into debt at our age, which, you know, isn't too smart. But, you know, he's, like I said, he can bail us out if he wants to. But if we were to lose the, if I were to lose my job tomorrow, <clears throat> um, and because of that, we lost the cars and then, you know, subsequently lost the house um, and had to go live with the kids or something like that. One of the daughters or whatever. Um, I'll tell you what, it would probably make life a lot easier because all that stress would be gone. But um, uh, at the same time, you know, it's it's like, well, whatever you want to do, Lord, is OK with me. I've come to that point in my life where, you know, I'm not going to quibble. I'm not going to argue anymore. I'm not going to um, expect way more than, than I deserve. You know, and I think that's very important for us to do is that uh, we, we, we were sitting in, a, um, we went to visit our daughter's church when she was going to this one church. <clears throat> and um, it was, it, I always want to go to a Wednesday Bible study. I love Bible studies in the middle of the week or services would be even better, you know, with music and stuff. And, uh, you don't seem to find those very much anymore. Not, not here in Oregon anyway, but, um, um, so, you know, we were invited to go to a Wednesday service and it turned out that it's not really a Bible study. It's more of a rap session, um, kind of hippie-ish sort of. And, um, I wasn't too thrilled with that. And, uh, Anyway, so my wife and I decided that, you know, our daughter was on the worship team. So she was up there singing and son-in-law had the two young kids and they were in school, you know. So we were there by ourselves, basically. And we decided to sit at a table. We just wanted to be by ourselves. Everybody was kind of foreign to us. We didn't know anybody and we just felt comfortable being together alone. Uh, Well, this woman came over and um, started to annoy me. My wife is a lot, she's a much better personality than I have, but, um, oh, she's like, well, why don't you come sit with us? And I said, you know, no, we just, we just want to sit here alone. We're, we're comfortable. Thank you though, for your, your invitation. It's, it's noted and it's, you know, we appreciate it. Ah, you got to come sit with us. You know, you can't sit by yourself. And I said, well, frankly, we can. <laughs> so she decides to park it with us and start talking to us. And, and I'm like, Oh, well, okay. You know what, whatever. And so one of the questions that um, they were asking up front that we had to ask each other is uh, what do you think you deserve? What do you deserve? And uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I think I partially answered it this way to get rid of this woman, but um she said, well, what do you deserve? And I said, well, if you know, biblically speaking, I deserve to um, die in my sin and go to hell. 
And she looked at me. Cause I, I put a pregnant pause in there. And she looked at me like, oh, my God, this guy's unsaved. And then I said, but I'm thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for my sins. And that I'm not going to go to hell and I'm going to heaven. And I don't deserve to go to heaven, but because of his grace, I'm going there, you know. And uh, she kind of stayed around for about a minute after that and looked at me odd a few times and <laughs> left. But um, uh, the thing is that God doesn't owe us anything. He died for us. He sent his one and only son and died for us. And that is the best gift, the best present, the best thing that he could ever give us. Okay. And. Anything else is a fringe benefit, okay? Um, anything else that we get, any food that we get to eat, you know, um, is a fringe benefit. Getting to heaven is a, is a fringe benefit. I don't deserve to go to heaven except for what Yeshua did for me, right? And my, my philosophy is, you know, that... Um, if I make it in there by the skin of my teeth, just as long as I'm there, that's all that I, I care about. You know, it's some people, you know, they go out and do good work so they can get more crown or jewels in their crown. And what they don't realize is that when he walks by us, we're going to cast our crowns at his feet because the attitude in heaven, I think, is going to be we don't deserve these things. You did everything. And um, why should I be wearing a crown when you did everything? So. And anything that I did, you did through me. So what's the big deal? Um, I don't want this crown. You take it. You deserve it, Lord. And um, I love that song, Crown Him With Many Crowns. Oh, what a wonderful song. Um, so anyway, um, my advice with Gareth Elkins, be careful with him. Um, when you read his stuff, pull it apart. Please pull it apart. Um and if it's if it's something that's from from Yahweh, then it'll it'll last the test of time and it'll match things that are in Scripture. If it's a man-made doctrine or a satanic doctrine, then it's going to fail. Um, trust the Lord to talk to you. You don't need to listen to these people. <clears throat> You're fully capable of hearing the word of the Lord as he talks to you. Thing is, you just got to take the time to listen. You can't be talking and listening at the same time. God is not our servant. He's not there to take our orders like a waitress in a restaurant. You know, we ask humbly when we need something. And we're thankful when we get it, knowing that we don't, he doesn't have to give it to us. But we're thankful when we get it. So with these Elkins and joiners and everything else. Just be really careful because a lot of them are, uh, are wolves in sheep's clothing. And uh, <clears throat> you don't want to succumb to what they have to say if it's not from coming from Yahweh. So those things haven't been said. And realizing I've been on for an hour and 30 minutes now. And knowing that I really just want to go to bed now. I'm going to go ahead and uh, put an end to this show. Um, tomorrow night, we are going to be talking about uh, the Bidens. 
the criminal element of the Bidens, which is just about everything they do. Um, figured, you know, since we got one more day before the election ends, um, if you could talk to one more person about how crooked their decision might be, or the crooked the person they're voting for might be, maybe they won't vote for that person. Yes, I do have a an agenda, and that's that you know that the Democrats are communists and leftists and socialists and whatever you want to call them, progressives, same, all the same thing, that they do not have your best interest in mind and they want to enslave the American people and uh, to punish us for being prosperous. Um, so we're going to talk about that, um, the criminal enterprise that is the Bidens. Um, we're going to be talking about um, a little bit of scripture, maybe a lot of scripture, who knows. But um, basically, periods of times, maybe during the kings, reigns of Israel, where there were good kings and bad kings, and how there would always be a good king, and then he'd be followed by three or four bad kings. And, and we're going to look at Saul and see that Saul was um, could basically be compared to the the Obama administration and maybe you know all the administrations before starting with the Clintons up until the Obama administration and that Trump is um, was basically David and if you look at the way that Trump is being persecuted and prosecuted and everything else he is a type of David uh, minus the sleeping around and and killing his servants so that he can have his wife but um, uh, there are some biblical parallels and I think we need to look at them because they might show us what's actually going to happen. And, uh, and let's not forget that uh, David was king until he died and then his son took over. Uh, Donald Trump has two sons. Maybe one of them is going to take over when Donald uh, can't run after another four years. And um, which one would be the best choice? Is it going to be a guy like Solomon who's going to start out good and make a bunch of bad choices afterwards. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to talk about in this regard. So that's what we'll be talking about tomorrow night. So um, we're going to start at 6.35 Pacific, 9.35 Eastern, and uh, talk about these things. And uh, uh, come and listen in, okay? And uh, get into the chat room. Start writing to me, for goodness sakes. Um, we don't have the phone capability yet, but we do have the chat room uh, on Spreaker, and you can write and you can ask questions. I'll forward the questions to the other two brothers that are going to be there, and uh, which is Eric and uh, Brian, and uh, we'll have a discussion on this stuff. Okay? Um, we yeah, we love to talk about this, these things, but um, we also like to have dialogue with our listeners. So um, try to make it if you can. So with that having been said, um, you know, the Lord bless you. The Lord, I said it again. Let, let me explain where I'm coming from with that real quick before I leave. Um, when you see Lord in uh, in the Tanakh in the Old Testament, a lot of times it's capitalized, and that actually means Yahweh, okay? Or yod heh vav heh which is the tetragrammation. Um, God has a name. And his name is Yahweh. Okay, he has other names too. El Shaddai, 
El Elyon, um, not Jehovah, okay? But um, Yahweh's, uh, when he... Um, when he said, when he told Moses to uh, go down and talk to the children of Israel, he said, um, "Tell them, Yah has sent you," and that means, um, "I am that I am." And it's man, it's a beautiful term if you look at it in the Hebrew, because it 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 means not just "I am what I am," "I am that I am," which makes him sound like Popeye, but it means "I am what I was," "I will be what I what I am." Um, it's it's got past, present, and future all wrapped up in one, and it just shows the uh, it shows the triunity of God first of all, uh, but it also shows the um, the eternal aspect of the Lord God of Israel. It's an interesting term. And then he said, "Tell them that the Lord sent you." And that word, your Lord, is Yod Hey Vav Hey. And I do believe that that's the words that um, Abraham used and uh, probably Isaac and Jacob. And so that when they finally showed up and um, when he showed up to talk to the elders in Israel and he used that name, they probably knew right away that he was legit. So anyway, yeah, the God of Israel, the Lord, uh, has a name and it's it's uh, Yahweh or yod Hey vav Hey if you want to use that. And the reason I do that is because, first of all, Lord, um, you'll find it a lot of times in the Tanakh, and it means uh, it's it's used for Baalam, uh, not Baalam, Baal, the uh, the Canaanite God, um, is also called Lord. Okay, he was Lord Baal, and um, he was a false god. And... um, also, um, uh, Adonai a lot of times is used in, in the Hebrew, but it's it really is an injustice. It's more of a, a title rather than a name. And and another thing is that uh, the name of the name or the word God or Lord are used in several different religions. Um, when George Harrison was singing "My Sweet Lord," he was singing about. Um, about uh, Krishna, the uh, Hindu god, he's known as Lord. Um, <clears throat> so, um, and when somebody you sneeze and you ha- you have people from all over the world saying "God bless you," you've probably got about five or six gods that are being represented when they say that. So, God's becoming a very generic term too. So, um, to use Yahweh and to use um, Elohim. Or uh, El Yon, or El Shaddai, or or uh, one of his many names. Um, I think it's more appropriate, so that's why I do that. You can, you're free to do whatever you want to, but um, I just know that he's got a name, and he says, "My name is the Lord," and he, that went, or my name is Yahweh, or Yodhe Vavhe, um, and I'm and I'm going to call him by his name. You know, if the Muslims can call their God Allah, if uh, if the Hindus got um, Krishna and Shiva and the Brahmin and everything else, uh, they got names for their gods. Uh, I'm not going to use generics anymore. I'm going to use brand names, <laughs> so to speak. So anyway, um, that having been said, I'm going to say good night. God bless. We'll see you. Uh, well, now it's past 12, so see you tonight.
Um, just, um, just be blessed and receive all that he has for you. And when you talk to him, please just, after you talk, be quiet and wait for an answer. It might take a day, it might take a week, it might take a month, but wait for an answer. It might be in two seconds, who knows. But uh, he will answer you. Just wait. Wait on the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. That's a promise. Let's start holding him to his promises and realizing his promises and uh, being blessed by his promises. In Yeshua's holy name, amen and amen. Good night, y'all.